Amen. Well, you may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. So if you don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And, and today we are continuing a series that we've been in um, over this uh, spring, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, this is typically when spring traditionally is, but it's like Narnia right now, always winter, never Christmas. Um, and so um, it's glad you could gather with us. But we're in this series called Rooted, Living Scattered, Not Shattered. And it's, it's walking us through um, the letter of First Peter, where Peter who is a pastor, and we'll see today is also a pastor of pastors, um, is writing to a bunch of different churches across what is modern-day Turkey, and he's saying, hey, I know Christian, he's speaking specifically to Christians, I know that you are someone who's been chosen by God, I know that you are someone who's been saved and redeemed by God, and I know that you live in a world that's not too excited about that. And that there is tension and that there is difficulty and, and that there's not always alignment with the will of God and the design of God. And so um, at last week as we looked at chapter 4, we, we kind of talked about um, how we process suffering. And, and chapter 4, verses 19 um, says this. It says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so as we go into chapter 5 today, um, I want us to have some of that context, that it's in the context of suffering, it's in the context of enduring, it's in the context of being fruitful and flourishing that, that Peter is writing, and he's writing not to, to you and you and you as an individual, but he's writing to us as a church. And so he begins to say, hey, the church is like a family, and how that family is arranged has certain structures and systems, if you will, and even leadership in place. And so if you came in today and you're not a Christian, you're like, wow, they're just going to talk about church leadership. Well, I want us to, to have this framework as well, because there's words here specifically to pastors. There's words here specifically to, to members, if you will. But all of us have been impacted by leadership. Like, the plot of the Bible is God is a leader who spoke creation into existence. He had design, intentionality, and purpose, and his design was good. And then humanity was called to, to serve under God, to serve with God, to then cultivate and, and make a flourishing society. But then sin entered the world. And sin entered through, in part, a failure of leadership. Adam didn't lead effectively. Eve didn't lead effectively. And instead rejected God as the leader and said, you know who would be a better leader than God? Me. Us. You. And you just begin to look at world history and you get to see generations after generations of failed leadership. Emperors dominating and destroying fathers being feckless at times, mothers failing, right? You, societal breakdown. And, and, and at certain points, we say, yeah, I, I don't trust government. I don't trust entertainment. Um, you know, I don't trust financial institutions. Um, man, I don't trust the church. And, 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 then, and then you just start to look in the mirror and you believe the lie that you can trust yourself all the time. That you're the best leader of you. That I'm the best leader of me. And so, However you came into today, 
all of us do have areas of responsibility, areas of ownership, areas of leadership. And maybe it is only to be, in some regards, a leader of self under God. Maybe it's leading in your family, as a mother, as a father. Maybe, maybe you're a leader at school. Maybe, maybe you're, you're a leader in, in business. Maybe you have a business. Maybe you're in leadership in the church. Maybe you're in leadership in the community. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, are leaders. So when Peter speaks to leaders, he does so amazingly, I think, in a letter that goes out to the whole church. So he wants the church to know, this is what I told the leaders. And he also wants the church to know, and this is what I'm saying to you. And so just because I'm up front today, doesn't mean I'm the leader. There's lots of leaders within the church. And all of us have leadership and ownership out of the areas of influence that God has called us to. And so I want us to have that framework as we go in, that all of us have a relationship with leadership. And sometimes we've seen that lead to, to flourishing. I mean, right, good leadership leads to flourishing. Good leadership helps people endure through difficult times, right? You look at a guy like Winston Churchill, maybe not like for like CrossFit advice, um, you know, or, or that type of deal. Like the guy, I think, was taking a lot of naps, a lot, lot of whiskey, a lot of cigars. But he led a nation through intense bombardment from an evil enemy force where, where they could have just surrendered like the French, right? But they didn't do that, right? They endured. And they, they, okay, that's not a knock on the, well, it is, okay. But they endured because, in part, good, effective leadership. And so we all have a relationship with leadership. And so sometimes, though, leaders don't remain faithful. They're not effective. They don't remain qualified. Or worse, we've been or engaged with leadership that is not just ineffective, but is actually abusive. If any of us have church hurt, that's usually because poor leadership was involved. Sometimes that's individual pastors. Those ones make the headlines. Sometimes it's boards of elders. So it would be great if we lived in a world with perfect leadership all the time. Absent, apathetic, abusive leaders, they cause frustration, they inflict pain. And so how do we navigate this? We're, we're supposed to be together, unified as a church. We're supposed to be um, different and distinct in some regards to the world. And so um, sometimes when, when we've experienced church hurt, um, you know, our reaction to it is to check out and to disengage and say, no, I'm going to go. The only person I can trust, like I said, is that one in the mirror. When I do believe... There are times when there's abusive leadership, there's immoral leadership, run, great. But oftentimes, I think God has actually called us not to, to pull back, but to press in. Not to disengage and check out, but to, and not to reject all leadership, because that would be chaos, but rather to have humble servant leadership. And so today we're going to look at what rooted leadership looks like in the church with rooted shepherds, rooted sheep, who all rest in the chief shepherds, who is Jesus. So those are the three parts. Part number one is rooted shepherds, verses three, sorry, one through three, 1 Peter 5. That's a long intro, let's go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses one through three. In the context of, of suffering, enduring, identity, all these things, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you 
exercising oversight or leadership, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So like I said, I call this first section Rooted Shepherds. And, and, and as you look at this, Peter, again, writing to the church, and, and Peter says, hey, hey, I, I wanted to talk specifically right now to those in church leadership, you know, the elders, the pastors, the staff, the leaders, all those. I want to talk to you specifically. And as he does, Peter doesn't come in hot as like, hey, I'm this great leadership guru. Have you seen my mega church? I've got a blog. Here's my book. You should buy it. Let's have the conference. No, no. He, he says, hey, I'm an elder too. Peter served in the local church. Yeah, he starts the letter of 1 Peter as Peter the Apostle. But when he's talking about humble servant leadership, how Peter speaks here actually matters. He says, I am a fellow elder. Like, hey, I'm not special. I'm not varsity. I mean, yeah, Peter gets the right part of the Bible. That's pretty rad. But but then right away, he says, yeah, I'm I'm a fellow elder, so I'm, I'm one of you, but then he also says, hey, I'm not just a fellow elder, I'm a failed elder. Where do we get that? Well, he says, he says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And you might think, like, without much context, like, wow, man, he, he was there. We should listen to what Peter said, because he was there when Jesus suffered and died, and like, a couple weeks ago, we just talked about it, like, how'd Peter do in that crucible of leadership? He crumbled, denied Jesus three times, I mean, P- Peter could have said like, hey, Peter, an apostle, the one who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, an apostle, one who was with Jesus when he turned water into wine. I tasted it. It was glorious. Peter, the one who helped hand out food. And so much of it came back. We had extra. I, I, was, I was the hands of Jesus. Miracle, handing out fish and loaves. He doesn't even say that. Hi, Peter fellow elder, failure. Failed in my leadership at the time it mattered most. The Lord told me that I would be the rock in which he would build his church on and the gates of hell would not prevail and as soon as there was any pressure, crumbled. Peter's a failure. We saw a couple weeks ago looking at John 21 that, that he's a repentant failure though. He recognizes his own failure. He was restored by Jesus. All God has to work with are imperfect people to use for even leadership, even within the life of the church. There's qualifications. We'll talk about that in a minute, right? There's there's ways to be disqualified, and you should not be in leadership any longer for sure. But he's leading, Peter is leading with vulnerability. He's leading with, hey, I'm going to give you some leadership lessons. I just want you to know I've failed at some of these. I'm going to give you some, some leadership insight, I'm an example, but there's only one example, and that's Jesus. And so, he he could have laid out his accomplishments, he doesn't. He goes with humility, that failure was part of his ministry, so was repentance and restoration. And then he demonstrates that he has some hope. He says, yeah, yeah, I was a witness to the suffering of Christ, but I'm also a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So so Peter is a failed leader, but, but he's not a hopeless one. He's like, yep, even in the midst of my failure, my my greatest disqualification of ministry was met with the greatest grace and mercy from Jesus. And so now I have a great hope that, that this church thing is not on me. 
that Jesus has said he's coming back. He's going to, he says, reveal glory, and I'm going to get to partake of it. Even me, Peter, the failure, is going to have a portion of glory in eternity with Jesus. So no matter how you think your church is doing in the middle of Turkey, getting, getting chopped up, you know, getting, getting jammed up by the culture around you, don't worry, another city is coming, another king is coming, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, and so yes, we have temporary leadership that we engage with at government levels, civic levels, business, within the church, within our families, but there is a leader who's coming back. And there'll be a time with no more suffering, no more sins, no more tears. Simply put, Peter's saying to the, to the pastors he's writing to, I'm one of you, I failed, and in Christ I know I will finish. So he's hopeful. And then he gets into the, kind of the, the basics, if you will, the, um, the charge. He says, I want to exhort the elders among you in the midst of this suffering and difficulty that you know, the church is undergoing. He says, I want you elders, pastors, leaders, to shepherd the flock that is among you. And so we see that rooted leaders, rooted shepherds, are, are ones who are in fellowship with their people. They're not aloof from it. They're not apart from it. Rooted leaders are known leaders. They, they recognize that, yeah, there might be a, a public aspect to ministry. I mean, this is part, as a, as, a, as a staff pastor, this is part of what I do is, is publicly on Sundays, but there's also a, a personal ministry. There, there's a private ministry that happens. And I, I want to riff for a second, if I could, on 1 Thessalonians 5.12, because Paul's writing to a, a church there about leadership, and he says this to the church in Thessalonica that was just an awesome church and just needed, to, just needed to have their culture just shifted a little bit. He says, respect those, talking about the leaders, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And so you put that with what, what Peter's saying here, and it's a rooted leader is one who is both over and among, that both are necessary, that, that they labor, yes, they get stuff done, they labor in preaching and teaching, they, they work like farmers, planting seeds, like, hey, there's, there's seasons of harvest, there's seasons to endure, right, um, that they are in the trenches, they are part of a fellowship, and they, and they know the people and the faces that they help lead. And so... There's two aspects to it, right? The among, for sure, you're there, but the also, and this is the one I don't think we like, is the over part. The rooted leaders are in and among the community, but there's also a clear distinction of office and role and function. Not value, not worth, not perfection, not status. We get wonky when we start doing those things. But there are positions within the fellowship of leadership that are specific for a specific reason. Here he calls them shepherds. Um, Bob Thune, in his great book on gospel eldership, says there's five key things that elders, pastors, leaders in the church need to be about. I'll go through them quickly. Number one is this. They're to feed the flock. That means to treasure God's word and to teach it to others. Right? That, that's, that's what the leaders are there to do. Number two, protect the flock. And that means refuting false teachers, to, to encourage when there's spiritual apathy, to, to engage when there's sin. There's a protection aspect. Number three, to lead the flock. 
We'll talk more about that in a minute, but in part to be examples in character and competency to also kind of set the agenda to help, help point a vision forward. Right? Leaders at their best are able to identify a preferred future and help others to see it and work towards that preferred future. Number five, they're to care for the flock, encouraging them in the gospel, like, 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 like through all kinds of life circumstances, right? When you get a diagnosis, when you get a divorce, when you lose your job, uh, or, or to also encourage when there's moments of celebration, right? And finally, he says, to champion God's mission. That part of what those shepherds are here to do is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to be champions of God's mission of bringing good news to individuals, to families, to communities, and the world to align them with who God is, who's revealed in Jesus Christ. And so when you have leadership, it's to be over and among. And when if you lose one of those, or you emphasize one of those more than the other, Things can go off the rails real quick. Leadership that is among but not over does not provide clear, compelling direction. It's leadership that's ineffective. And so it leads to flourishing, goes to wilting real quick. And there's a lot of reasons for this. It's like, hey, yeah, I'm a man of the people. Or, hey, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I, I'm one of you. I put my pants on one leg at a time, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're all in this together. Oh, man, did that one sting a couple years ago when leaders started saying, we're all in this together? I mean, I'm not, but y'all are. No, we're called to be among. But at certain points, leaders start to lead out of fear because they're more concerned with how sheep might bite back at them than they are with actually leading with compassion and with courage. And so like, I just want to avoid conflict. I'm saying, I just want to avoid conflict. It's exhausting. It hurts. It stings. It's difficult. And that's part of leadership. However, the, the response to that can sometimes be, well, you know what, the, the sheep bite, people are difficult, so I, you know what, I'd rather just be a leader who's over but not among. So let's get this joint as big as we can, as fast as we can, so that I don't have to interact, actually interact with any people. You know, I just want to, I want to write a blog, I want to write books, I want to lead in conferences, you know, let, let, let's just make sure that I don't have to deal with actual real people, I can just write about or tweet about theoretical people. And so then it gets very domineering very quickly. Fruitfulness gets trampled because leaders become too domineering. And they lead by dictating rather than by directing and encouraging. And I think at times, if, if the first ditch of among but not over is you believe the flock is just individual sheep and you forget that there's a flock that needs to be led, this ditch is you see the flock and it, and it needs to be led but, but you forget that there's individual sheep. They need to be tended to. They need to be heard. They need to be encouraged. They're all in different places spiritually. And so the answer is not to chuck either one of these, I think, but to hold both of these in tension, to not ignore the orientation of these, but to grow in both. And so leadership recognizes has, uh, it has a role um, to, to not just care for the organization, yes, but also to, to care and engage with individual sheep. And so Peter lays out like, hey, that's the goal, right? You're to be a shepherd, but, but I, he understands as well as anyone does as a failed leader that there's pitfalls that leaders will face and there's remedies for them as well. And so he outlines three of those that I'll walk through here real quickly. I'm calling this first one rooted mission. 
says the first pitfall is that you not be, serve or lead under compulsion, but willingly. He's saying, hey, the, the word compulsion can also mean constrained, that, that, that you're not leading because you're like, well, somebody has to do it. Or, well, if I, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Or, well, I don't really like their leadership, so maybe I'll just, I'll just lead over here in, instead. Many of churches have been planted sometimes by awesome motivations, and sometimes just the guy didn't like the guy before. And so, I mean, God will use it. He'll multiply in a bunch of different ways, but here he's saying, no, you're not to shepherd under compulsion. He said, you're not to, to, to just do it because you feel like you're forced to, or, or that somehow being a shepherd or under-shepherd for the Lord is, yes, it's a call to suffering in part, but it's also a sacred calling too. And so he's saying, don't lead out of compulsion. Like, you should at least, at least, be willing. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, I feel called to do that. First Timothy 3 says, he who desires eldership desires a noble thing. There should be some sense of desire there. Not under compulsion, but joyful alignment with the mission, vision, and values of, of not just the idea of a church, but with a specific church. Number two, rooted motives. He says, your motives should be this, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So here's what I like. Hear this. He doesn't say not for gain. He says not for shameful gain, right? I mean, throughout the Bible, there's, there's clear teaching on, on those who make their living by the gospel as full-time pastors, preachers, teachers. Like, like that's how they receive uh, income. And so here he's saying, hey, you know, your, your mission can't be, yeah, I'm going into ministry because I think somehow it's gonna be a, a comfortable, high-paying, high-respect gig. He's saying, as Paul said, no, you don't muzzle the ox, that the laborer deserves his wages, but man, there are people that go into ministry for shameful motivations of greed, of status, of identity, of rebellion. He's saying, no, 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 you need to put those away. There's aspects of leadership that can be intoxicating in ways that are not helpful. And so he says, the contrast to that is to be eagerly motivated. So he starts with, hey, baseline, be willing. Second, you better have some drive and desire. You better be eager for this. It's like, like I, I, I do an endurance races sometimes. Nobody signed me up for one. I've signed myself up for one eagerly. And there are moments during those races where I'm like, why did I sign myself up for this? Why? And then I'm like, but I paid the fee. And if I don't finish, I don't get the swag and it's all worthless and I won't be able to post it on Instagram. No, you, you do it because you want to. So he's not just saying you better be willing. Yes, you better baseline be willing. But you also better have some like, yep, let's go, let's do this. Lead eagerly. Your motivation should be rooted that God has called you to do something and that God's calling on your life is irrevocable in ways that should lead to flourishing for yourself and others. It's a positive motivation. And then he says this, and this is so important. So you have rooted mission, rooted motives. Great, you, you have all those, but you better get this one right. We better get this one right. Rooted means. He says, okay, you're motivated, you're eager, you're willing, great. 
not domineering, but examples. This is where he transitions from your internal motives as a leader to your, to your outward actions. The word domineering or dominating means forcefully rule over in a harsh way. It was a word that at that day would be used in military contexts, political contexts, physically overpowering contexts. So he's saying, you know, you don't lead with, well, I outrank you or I will overpower you or I'll buy you off. It's when arrogance outpaces assertiveness. It's when abuse begins to overshadow everything. The blogosphere and podcasts and our culture and looking through the news is littered with Google Pastor, and it's not usually like, anyway, and he was awesome, and he loved Jesus and the Bible, and everybody loved him, and, and, and he suffered some, but he also endured. It's like article after article after failure after failure of leadership. But we get into these weird spots where we begin to think somehow that all direction is domineering. He does say, lead. He does say lead by example, but also remember that he's a shepherd. He's called to care. He's called to, 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 to feed, to protect, right? There's going to be active aspects of leadership. And so, I mean, there are stories and stories of leadership failures and abuse and where those are happening or have happened, they need to come to light and they need to be addressed. And maybe there's leaders that need to step down or need to retire. And... There's sometimes there's just members who are disgruntled and turn every offense into abuse. Or every time there was direction, oh, that was domineering. Because I think what it comes down to is this. We like leaders when they do what we say, when they lead the way we say, when they have the opinions we have, when they have the positions we have. And if and when leaders start to go a different direction or, or you go a different direction and they don't change, then we get kind of frustrated. And at the end of the day, I think there are times, not all times, again, I want to be clear, there is abuse. But there are times where really what we're saying is we like the idea that there are leaders, but we don't want to actually engage with one because we really just want to be the leader that we see in the mirror. And so, we're called not to be aggressive or domineering, but to, to be examples to the flock. And that means that you stay qualified in leadership. There are aspects within church leadership of fidelity, of, uh, of being sexually faithful, of, of, of you know, kind, gentle, self-controlled, uh, of stewarding resources well, right? All, all these things that we're called to do to, to be thought of well of outsiders, to not be drunkards, right? All, all these different things that we're to stay qualified in. And that's part of how he says lead as an example. Paul would say it this way to the churches, follow me as I follow Christ. Translation, when and if I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. And then also remember, Paul, Peter, all of us, we're all imperfect leaders, and we're all imperfect leaders pointing others to the perfect example of Jesus. And so, um, I mean, leadership is an honor. Um, leadership is um, also terrible. <laughs> um, but it's not 
always called to, to be a, a burden. And I want to be clear about this. I'm going to share a quote here from an article in Christianity Today um, that they just put out, um, I think about two weeks ago. Uh, and the, the article is titled this, Our Pulpits Are Full of Empty Preachers. And they do a ton of research and surveying um, the spiritual health and life of pastors and their longevity, particularly after the last two years. Because I, I don't know if you've noticed, like some things in the world have changed the last two years. And some of that's been at leadership levels. And so we get mad at our president or we get mad at our governor or we get mad at what happens at the school board level, all those things. And, and we don't, we, we don't, we can't go talk to them. You know, I don't think any of us are like, you know, let's go run and protest. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. But then there is a leader that you can talk to and it's usually the pastor. And so I want to be clear. I know businesses have suffered. I know parents have suffered. I know students have suffered. But I also want to acknowledge that the last two years have been real tough for pastors as well. And, and I say that not to in, engender sympathy or anything like that. I want to be super clear. Um, but just the reality, because I'm friends with a lot of pastors as well, and what was said in this article rung true for a lot of us. That all jobs are hard, but ministry's a little different in this. All of us, Lord willing, have friends. All of us, Lord willing, have family. All of us, Lord willing, are part of a church. All of us have a job, Lord willing. But when you're in full-time pastoral ministry, all of those are together. So when somebody leaves the church, sometimes your kids lose their friends. And sometimes when you're wrestling or, or you have some issues with, with friends, it bleeds out into the church. And sometimes you're like, man, I, I, need, a, I need a break or, or, or you know, I, I want to be, be done with my, my job. But then you're like, no, no, I'm, you're, you're, you're part of the church. You're all in call together. And so it can be difficult. There's a lot of awesome aspects to it too. But the quote says this, because this is where a lot of pastors are at, and this might even be where this pastor's at too. Pastors have no special well of spiritual strength to draw from, no secret tools to reinforce their spiritual fortitude beyond what any of us has. It's easy to forget that Christ's under-shepherd are still sheep in his flock. If we treat pastors like spiritual superheroes, we do them a disservice. Superman doesn't need to do push-ups. I do. Ministers still need permission and margin to do their spiritual exercises. Time alone with God, time praying, time in scripture beyond sermon prep, time with spiritual directors and counselors and other pastors who get what they're going through. This is part of why. After Sunday next week, I will be on sabbatical during the summer months. So similar dates to, to teachers in some regards. But from Memorial Day to Labor Day, myself and, and, and my family are going to be on sabbatical. And it's not because some crazy thing happened this year or anything like that, or, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody's actively trying to fire me at this moment. Um, I don't know. If you are, just let me know. We can chat. Uh, but this has actually been planned for quite a while. See, I, I've actually been involved in some regards imperfectly as a leader over and among for, for 14 years now, for, first as an elder, elder candidate, then as a, a staff executive pastor for a couple years, and for the last eight years um, as the lead pastor of this church and its various expressions here in Marysville. And I want to do this for a long time. And part of that is letting go and setting down and stepping back 
So there's opportunities, specifically for, for, I think a lot of pastors who are on sabbatical have these shared goals, so they're not unique, but rest, recreation, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, like, will the sun to appear, I guess. Like, right, I, I hope that this summer's all right. Or I'm just going to keep driving east until I find some. Maybe we'll drive back. Rest, recreation, renewal. I, I do meet with a counselor, and we'll continue to meet with a counselor and coach. I look forward to reading books I wouldn't normally read. Look forward to not, I look forward to reading books without underlining and circling, thinking what I'm going to say next week. And then part of it's recalibration. So when I come back in the fall or at Labor Day, uh, we hit the ground running with, uh, I, we've already prepared a sermon series on the book of Daniel that we're going to be working through this fall. I'm super excited about. We put together a discipleship guide like we're ready to go there. We're going to be working on, on deeper roots of leadership within our church. Who's going to serve to help, help lead in kids and facilities and in, in hospitality and other areas? Maybe, maybe other leaders are emerging that want to have more leadership in, in men's or women's Bible studies, right? There's, there's all sorts of ways that we, as the church, can lead together. And so I'm actually super encouraged um, for, you know, one of the blessing that our church has provided me and my family and the other church networks that we're a part of. Uh, we, got, we got Matt, Nickel, and Curtis Hall who are going to be preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be amazing. And we've got other pastors from this area and beyond who are amazing preachers that are going to be coming in to serve our church by preaching and teaching. They have great affection for you that love this church. And so I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited I'm tired, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming back with a little more fuel in my tank. Um, wow. I can't cry this week, because I got one more to go next week, um, and so one, one more to go. Like I said, I do the endurance things, and I'm seeing the archway of a finish line, and, and it's like, you know, you don't bonk there. Don't fall down there. Keep running. I tell my kids when they're in track, run through the finish line. Okay, run through the finish line. Let's run through the finish line of this sermon, shall we? Okay. First Peter 5, 4 and 5 is, is starting to talk a little bit to the sheep. And I, don't, I just want to be clear. I'm a sheep. Pastors are sheep. So the call that Peter is doing here before we get to you know, hearing more about Jesus as the chief shepherd is to say, hey, pastor, don't forget you're a sheep. Hey, people flock in the flock. Don't forget your pastor, your leaders, your pastors. They're just sheep too. They're ones who need leadership and care and protecting. And I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. And I'm thankful to have him as a chief shepherd and I'm so thankful to have friends in the church. I'm so thankful to have friends out of the church to care, protect, to lead, to serve, to encourage in mission. And so let's just remember that all of us, whether you're in leadership or not, we're all just sheep. Beloved sheep, yes, but we're all just sheep. All right, five, four and five. Otherwise, we're going to preach till next week, and that will just call it good. Okay, four and five says this. And when the chief shepherd appears, he's talking about Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, In this case, he is talking to the elders, but let's be clear, like that is our destiny as beloved children of God is glory. That when we finish our race, 
where, where Jesus has been running with us and through us and for us, that our Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we receive an unfading crown of glory. And then he says this, likewise, you who are younger. And all of you who are over 42 are like, sweet, don't have to listen to Chris. Be subject to the elders or leaders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, I love that he says, all of you be clothed in humility. He's talking about the leaders and those who aren't in upfront leadership. That the rooted culture of the church is going to be one of mutual respect and humility towards one another. That that is what all members of the church are called to. That every one of us lives under the authority of the chief shepherd. That all of us are sheep who need care and tending to. That all of us are in Christ, so we all are going to receive a crown of glory. That we respond to one another with honor and humility. And when those start to get off, the culture starts to fade in the church. That, that just as it says the elders are called the shepherd of the flock that is among them, I want to say this as clearly as I can. Sheep are called to be part of a flock. You, if you're a Christian, are called to be part of a flock. God has saved you as an individual, but he has brought you into a flock. There is no concept anywhere in the New Testament of Christians who are by themselves or isolated. They are all part of a flock under imperfect earthly leadership, all under the perfect leadership of our Lord Jesus. And so that requires members, individual Christians, to be part of a flock. And it might not be here, but it needs to be somewhere. And we said that at the beginning, the answer for bad leadership isn't to check out and not be under any leadership, but it's to be in a place and a space that you have a kinship for and alignment with. And, and, and yet, I think sometimes we, we get very, very fickle around what our alignment is going to look like. And, and I will say that, that just as the last several years have gotten very polarizing for our culture politically, it's also happened within the church that the unity of, of diversity theologically or politically or whatever, like, oh, we can't have that. And so everybody's sprinting towards their favorite patriot church or their favorite progressive church. Wave one flag, wave another And we're not enduring real well together at times. This article goes on, another quote from a pastor says this, that, that really speaks to what's going on at this moment. It says, one of the really, this is from our pulpits are full of empty preachers. One of our really hard things for pastors across the country is that our role tends to be treated as relationally disposable. We value pastors when they give us what we want or need, but when we think we need something else, suddenly they're inhuman. They're a religious commodity to be unsubscribed from. In the 15 years I've been involved in some form of church ministry, you begin to realize that there are people who attend the church that you are involved in leading, and then there are people for whom you are their pastor. And the difference usually comes with, again, do they see themselves as the chief leader of their lives? 
Again, I'm not saying not, don't be an individual. I'm not saying follow bad pastors. And so when I like what the guy's saying or doing or when I like what the leadership structure are, then I'm all in. But if they go a slightly different direction or they don't follow me, then I'm out. And sometimes the treatment can be a bit odd. As a staff, we've talked about this as we've had um, over the years as different people have moved on. Like there's some people that just ghost the church. You guys know what ghosting is? I haven't been involved in dating for a long, long time. Praise the Lord. Um, but apparently, like, it's, it's when you, like, you know, you're, you're texting with somebody, going back, you know, going back and forth, and then all of a sudden, just nothing. They're a ghost. Let me tell you so clearly and plainly, whether you're at this church or any other church, do not ghost a church. Let them know, hey, we're moving on. Here's why. We got a job, and we're moving to another part of the country, and it's fantastic. Hey, you know what? Um, you know, I feel like maybe where you're at on this issue isn't where I'm at on this issue. Can we talk about it? And it might mean I get to end up somewhere else, but that's okay. I want to be clear too, like as Christians, I, I saw this on a meme, but it's true. We're not a gang. Right, you change churches, as long as they love Jesus, love the Bible, or preaching good news, awesome. We're all going to be in one church at the end. It's going to be perfect. I'm not leading it. It's going to be great. So like, you move on to another church, that's awesome. Praise God for that. Be in a church. People do not always know how to leave well. But sometimes people need to be called to stay. One of my good friends um, has a leadership podcast and he, he used this analogy I think is super uh, timely about this. He talked about ice cream, that the polarization we've experienced um, is like ice cream. Like, like the church maybe three, four, five years ago, we're all together because we all agree we love ice cream. But now as things have gotten so polarized, we're like, well, I only like rainbow sherbet. And I only like nationalistic Neapolitan. And, and we're like, I don't like those, you know. And if you don't like those flavors, you're evil or abusive. And it's like, whoa, I thought we liked ice cream. And I thought we liked, liked Baskin-Robbins, where we're like, no, isn't it great? The church has a bunch of different flavors. Those two flavors I mentioned maybe shouldn't be in the, the ice cream thing. But we'll, we'll give them. Chocolate chip. Some of you like vanilla. That's fine. I'm sure God will save some for you in heaven. Right? But the flavors, right? Those are awesome. And so the difference is now, you don't like my flavor. I can't stand you more. I'm out. Or I know the other people in this church, they like some other ice cream that I can't even stand. And that's what we're seeing. And I think part of it is this, that as they say, shepherd the flock that is among you, that you're called to be among, is we, we realize like, yeah, we have, we have pastors kind of, Oh, but no, we got influencers. We got public theologians. We've got, we got podcasters. We've got authors. We've got, you know, professors. Now, I like them. And, man, it is so easy to line up preachers and teachers, curate podcasts and books that only align with the way you see things. I'm sure I'm great at it. And so we rarely read outside of our own tribe we rarely like consider and wrestle with other ideas and maybe we play around with them for a while. Maybe we have doubt but then we, we come back home and we align. Or we say, no, actually we're going a different direction and those are all just fine things. But, but what happens is we start to treat our local pastors like Instagram where if they just say something you don't like, you just unfollow. And, and we love those pastors, those authors, those preachers and teachers because we've never seen what their marriages look like because they've never called us out on sin. 
because we can actually impart however we see the world on whatever they just said, and we never have to hear them say, whoa, whoa, I said that, but I didn't mean what you're saying. And so it gets weird. And then there's, there's the guys that are building platforms. I want to be clear, like, I think that, that some of these people are gifts to the church, and sometimes we use those gifts in weird ways. So there's great preachers, there's great teachers, great authors, all those things are, are, are awesome in some regard. There's one guy uh, who recently posted, and I agree with everything he said, but there was some irony here. He said, uh, he, he posted on Instagram, there's a world of differences between being a pastor versus being a content creator who has, little, who has the title of pastor. Pastoring entails proximity to people. And I was like, yes and amen. I, I hearted it on Instagram. Me and 2,500 other people from his, you know, almost 100,000 followers, the bros out on the East Coast, like, dude, do your thing, that's great. But I'll tell you, sometimes as a church leader, you hear like, well, yeah, so-and-so said this. Cool. I know nothing about them or their church or what they're doing. I'm called the shepherd of the flock that's among me. And we're called to be a flock together. And so what he says needs to clothe all of us as we begin to close is humility. But the answer for us as leaders, as, as, for us as sheep, as leaders who are sheep, is humility. The, the reality is all of us are called to be in full-time ministry. There I go. I'm, I'm actually quoting another pastor who wrote a book. He's great. His name's Pete Scazzaro. Okay. We're all called to be in full-time ministry. That, that my vocational role is actually, Ephesians 4 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we're at our man camp two weeks ago and we're in kind of a small group time. They were just, I felt like they were super impactful. It was awesome to hear all the guys contribute in different ways. And, and one of the guys said, hey Chris, how are we gonna keep this, this momentum going while you're gone? And, and I love this guy because he was serving me a softball on purpose. I didn't know it right away, but, I, but it's kind of like as it's coming up, you're like, oh, there's a curve on this one, okay. I was like, because it's not about me. He's like, good, yes, yes, Chris, you got it. Because we're the saints doing the work of ministry. That while I'm out of the game for a minute, sitting on the bench taking just a breather in between periods, that as a church, individually, collectively, we're going to continue to gather, to give, to grow, to go on mission, to do the things that we have said as a church are, are, are marks of discipleship. That Lord willing, we as the church are more healthy going into this fall because more people are involved in leading and serving and contributing. The more people are gathered and they're being welcomed. I mean, while I'm gone, one of you has to chase people out to the parking lot. Right? Yeah, half of you are here because I chased you in the parking lot. And some of you now are like, well, as soon as this sermon's done, we are out. He is not chasing me. Okay. I'm fast. I can get you. Okay. All right. We are called as a church to rest in who Christ is. And so here's the last verses that I hope just give us some encouragement because I mean, man, what do, what do we do? Because leaders are jacked up. I mean, at least the one is up on stage right now. Um, you know, the, the members are kind of, you know, interesting. That's great. You know, what, what are we gonna do? Where are we gonna, where are we gonna find actual reliance? Like, like, Chris, your sermon gave me a bunch of anxiety because I've suffered under bad leadership and I'm like, yeah, I've suffered under bad leadership too. So where do we go? Verses six and seven is good news. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. A rooted church is going to rest in Christ. While leaders have a limp, some leaders harm the flock, some sheep bay, some sheep bite. We know that we can rely on Christ. That we're going to remain rooted in Christ. That all of our anxiety, like part of why we get anxiety around leadership is, who's going to take care of it if I don't? Or sometimes what we're really saying is, who's going to take care of me if I don't? And all of us are called to turn to Christ. That rest, as we've said, is a gift given when a burden is given over. So whatever you've suffered in the life of the church, or whatever you're enduring now, or wherever you've got concerns over leadership, or wherever you're wondering what's next or, or unsettled, cast your anxieties to the Lord and know that He cares for you. That every racing heartbeat, every tremble, every beat of sweat, every tear, every sleepless night, every groaning, that Psalm 56 says He's bottled that up and just placed it up on the shelf and said, I've, I've got that, you don't need to worry about it. So that we as a church full of sheep, including some under-shepherds, can give God our anxiety and our pride and he is faithful to give us care, mercy, and glory. He, he is our burden bearer and he is our comfort giver as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are with us, you are for us. God, I thank you, Father, that you have a perfect plan. Jesus, the Son, that you have not just been the example of servant leadership, but you have sacrificed your very self to purchase your bride, the church. Holy Spirit, that you dwell in and among us, providing leadership for our wayward souls and for us together as your people. God, I do pray for for Mercy Fellowship, and for your church in Snohomish County in Washington and beyond. Lord, that they would be tons and tons of, of leaders and workers and, and people on mission, not under compulsion, but willingly, not um, for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but are all living as examples in, in all of it, Lord, that we are casting our anxieties upon you and that we would rest knowing that you care for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, this is our time to respond.